this is Mark Levine with another episode of On the Mark. My wife and I recently drove to Cleveland, Georgia to visit Babyland General, the birthplace of the beloved Cabbage Patch Kids. While there, we saw vintage Cabbage Patch dolls as far back as 1977. Xavier Roberts was a 21-year-old art student at Truett McConnell College in Cleveland, Georgia, where he learned the technique of German fabric sculpture. The combination of this technique and quilting skills resulted in the creation of the first Cabbage Patch Babies. In 1977, while working his way through school, he managed a gift shop near Helen, Georgia. This is where Roberts envisioned the concept of an adoptable little person with birth certificates. He would dress each doll in used clothing he purchased at yard sales. Roberts would travel to arts and craft shows throughout the Southeast, finding homes for his adoptable doll. Parents would pay $40 for the adoption fee. Inspired by winning a first place award at the Osceola Arts and Craft Show in Kissimmee, Florida, Roberts organized the original Appalachian Artworks Incorporated with help of his five friends. In 1919, L.G. Neal Sr. built a medical facility in Cleveland, Georgia, the home of Xavier Roberts. In 1978, Roberts and his company renovated the Neal Clinic to always become Babyland General. It is set up to look like a maternity ward. There is a, quote, nursing staff, unquote, which takes care of the newborns and delivers the babies. The babies are sent to the nursery, given names, and birth certificates are made. While we were there, they named a Cabbage Patch baby after my wife, Robin. And that was kind of interesting and a lot of fun, showing how the process works. In 1980, the Roberts Company was highlighted on the TV show Real People on NBC. The Babyland switchboard was inundated with requests. The show host requested a $1,000 baby, and sure enough, Cabbage Patch delivered with a diamond-studded doll with an adoption fee of $1,000. Several well-known newspapers wrote about the Cabbage Patch phenomenon, which in turn caused an amazing influx of business for OAA. In 1982, OAA negotiated the first long-term lease agreement with Hasbro, the third largest toy company in the world. They were requesting a doll be made with a vinyl head and soft body to retail an affordable price range. Until this time, OAA made the doll's heads from fabric and hand-sewn. The new name would become Cabbage Patch Kids. In 1983, the mass delivery of Cabbage Patch Kids was reaching 3 million. Cabbage Patch cannot keep up with the demand, and the Cabbage Patch Kids went on to be the record to be the most successful new doll in the history of the toy industry for several more years. Cabbage Patch received numerous awards, and you can still purchase them through online services, including Amazon. Our next story talks about G.I. Joe. 
You probably haven't seen G.I. Joe in quite a while, so let's find out how this all happened. In the early 1960s, Stanley Weston developed the original G.I. Joe. He wanted to develop a doll looking for the same acceptance as Barbie had experienced since the handlers presented Barbie to the public in 1959 and to this day has regained her status as the most successful doll in history. Weston wanted to design a doll for boys. The idea of a military focus on the branches of service was his brainstorm. Weston had watched the movie G.I. Joe. Weston was inspired by Ernie Pyle's reporting and wanted to do something to honor our military. Thus, he developed the first G.I. Joe from materials he had available to him and made his prototype. His friend and partner, Lawrence Reiner, suggested the dolls should have moving arms and legs. Well, Weston also had a vision of the accessories that could be manufactured, such as weapons, tanks, trucks, etc., He approached Hasbro in the early 1960s with this mock-up of figures, a Marine, an Air Force pilot, an Army infantryman, and a Navy sailor. Donald Levine, no relation, told Weston, you'll make a fortune with these. Well, Hasbro introduced G.I. Joe in 1964. They had taken Weston's prototype and developed a figure with flexible arms and legs and was able to move in 19 different directions. With 19 articulations, Hasbro thought this would be a great toy to present to the general public. Hasbro brought the rights to Weston's idea, and business flourished with the manufacturer introducing Army, Navy, Air Force personnel whose clothing was interchangeable. Soon Hasbro made nurse figurines, and long came weapons, vehicles, and other military accessories. In 1996, G.I. Joe and now Jane accounted for nearly two-thirds of Hasbro's profits. But unfortunately, the Vietnam War was ramping up, and many people were arguing that children should not be playing with military figures because so many people did not support the Vietnam War. The sales of G.I. Joe declined drastically. The Vietnam War ended in 1975. During the next few years, Hasbro had suspended production of G.I. Joe. It wasn't until 1978 Hasbro released the new G.I. Joe. The figurines were the same, but now they had been equipped with futuristic weapons. Hasbro renamed G.I. Joe to be the Super G.I. Joe Team. For the next several years, Hasbro had theme-named G.I. Joe teams. They also developed new accessories for the new teams. Hasbro was very successful reimagining the themes they produced. In 1989, the CEO of Hasbro, Stephen Hassenfeld, passed away. In the meantime, Hasbro had purchased Kenner the manufacturer of the Star Wars series of toys, just prior to Hasenfeld's passing. The sale of the Star Wars toys overshadowed those of G.I. Joe. Thus, Hasbro ceased operation 
of G.I. Joe in 1994. Well, that wraps up this edition of On the Mark. Thank you for listening. And if you have any questions or you'd like me to investigate uh, any toys that you might have or had, let me know at marklevine51 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-L-A-V-I-N-E 51 at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. I want to thank you very much for listening, and I wish all of you a very happy, safe, and healthy holiday.